Finnovate showcases cutting-edge banking and financial technology through a global conference series featuring short-form demos and thought leadership. Now, the conversation continues on the Finnovate podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Finnovate podcast. Joining me today, we have Michael Butler, President and CEO of Grasshopper Bank. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Pleasure to be here, Greg. So I think most people will have heard of Grasshopper, but to start, can you give us just a little bit of background on yourself and who and what Grasshopper is for anybody who hasn't heard of you yet? Sure. Um, I'm a lifetime banker, I'd call it. I spent 30 years with a large uh, commercial bank and in somewhere around 2008 decided I wanted to get off and kind of start kind of pursuing this um, digital banking solution that I was fairly convinced that was going to be a big part of the industry's kind of revolution. Um, I did that from 2008 to 2020 or so, 2021, and formed a company called Radius Bank, which was sold to Lending Club, which was a very cool transaction. We were an award-winning digital bank and um, felt like we wanted to become part of a bigger infrastructure and to sell into a fintech company. Uh, we were one of the first real banks to do that of our size. So that was a great transaction and was great for the combined company at the end of the day. Um, had a chance after that to um, take the leadership of Grasshopper, which is a company that is focused on um, providing digital financial solutions to the business and innovation economy and mainly SMBs that are kind of focused on um, technology and our technophiles by nature. We think there's a big demand pull that has been um, coming for some time in the uh, business side, and we think it's the next great place for disruption from a digital banking perspective. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, great to hear about the experience that you have. You've seen so much of the banking industry from a couple of different standpoints that I think there's quite a bit to uh, for for me to kind of choose from when I think about what my next questions are going to be. But let's start by talking a little bit more about Grasshopper's focus. Um, you know, you mentioned that you kind of look at that SMB space. How did you decide that that was the area that you really wanted to engage with? Yeah, so it started in the latter years of our um, time at Radius, and and we launched a treasury management solution probably in 2020. I've got my years mixed up a little bit. Time's going fast, but um, about 18 months before the transaction closed, and we started to see some good results, but it really accelerated during the pandemic. Uh, we were big providers of the PPP uh, loans through the SBA uh, platform we had, and we started to promote the treasury management solution alongside that. And we saw a huge demand for it that we had never expected with very little marketing, frankly, and people were coming to us just really excited about um, working with a bank um, on the business side that was offering something that was available to the consumer um, and was accelerated on the consumer side. So, so really we, we felt, and, and, and I think we feel, and, and most do, that the smaller end of the uh, business market behaves a little bit more like the consumer from a technophile perspective, people who want to do business. And then we saw that accelerate dramatically during PPP. And so when we, you know, the, so the opportunity to join Grasshopper, who had um, begun a strategy around this was very exciting for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think PPP really was one of the crucial inflection points. We started looking as a, as a community, as a fintech community at 
what the small businesses were struggling with. And obviously in that moment, there was so much that they were having to deal with. But when you look back at, you know, even a couple of years previously, there's still quite a few challenges. Where do you think that SMB community really needs further or additional support? Yeah, well, listen, we have a view, right? So everybody has a view and and I, I, I like to always caveat, this is our view of it. But, you know, you know, we like to say that the, the SMB is, you know, needs, needs time, right? So uh, small, you know, running a small business, being entrepreneurial, those who operate, I mean, I think, you know, we think of Grasshopper as a fintech with a bank charter, you know, in your community, you talk a lot about startups and entrepreneurs. We all know time is very precious to us. So, so, so to be able to, you know, um, engage with a financial services company that where you can open up your operating account in less than seven minutes uh, to, to, to be able to access uh, multiple products and services. We, we, we just lost a, a launch a virtual debit card. It's something really important. Um, the second thing they need is resources, right? So uh, you, you're, you're, the CF, you're, you're the CEO, CFO, CTO, CMO. And, and what we've tried to do is create a platform in which um, small business can access these types of resources to make their life easier. And then, then surely you got to you know, add capital into it somehow to provide financing for these guys. But those are the three things that we think about with SMBs. And, and, and we would also say that what we don't want, what we want to stay focused on is the customer experience, right? To make sure that the experience they have with a digital bank is a very good one. Um, it is more Amazon-like than not. And, and it feels like you're working in a e-commerce environment versus a traditional branch network environment. Yeah, and I think that customer experience is a really crucial piece. And certainly so many people in the fintech space are really doing their best to make sure that that process keeps getting better and better. Um, how do you see you know, neobanks, maybe outside of Grasshopper, but just more broadly, neobanks being able to offer that kind of really positive customer experience? Are there places where they're maybe able to do that a little bit better than some of their more traditional counterparts? You know, I, I think there's every organization, every segment has an advantage and a disadvantage and the objective to run, you know, to be successful in that segment is to take advantage of your advantages and reduce your disadvantages. But surely in a, in a, in a neobank environment, the, the, the kind of entrepreneurial um, responsiveness, ability to deliver industry leading technology is a clear advantage. And and, and whether it be a consumer or a business, that is the neobank's advantage is to be able to attract that growing number of client that wants the advanced technology. Um, and, and, that's, and that's their advantage for sure. Now, now we know that in, in the neobank environment, there still is some disadvantages of, of how you take that platform and turn it into a, create that path to profitability. But, but that surely would be the number one advantage that neobanks have. Yeah. So, you know, one of the criticisms that I've heard about neobanks and digital banks in general is that, you know, they're exciting, but they haven't really been stress tested too much. And so there's this maybe uncertainty around how they hold up when they kind of face some adverse circumstances. You know, we saw a little bit of that in 2020, but now we're in a situation where we're looking at high inflation. We're kind of staring down the barrel of what might be a sustained recession. You know, we're not quite sure yet, depending on how you define it. But regardless, you know, there's this idea that right now it's not exactly a rosy financial picture for, for most people. My suspicion is that not everyone in this space is fully prepared for the tests and the challenges that are coming. How do you think those kind of conditions could affect neobanking in general? 
Yeah, and, and I, I don't want to, I mean, I appreciate the question on neobanks, but I, but I do think it's a broader um, question about how younger companies, startup type companies will survive an economic event, you know, and I'll call it an event because we don't know exactly the depth or lack of depth that, that, that this change will take. We know changes on the horizon. We know capital has not been as plentiful as it was before. And, and the questions will be, where are these startups, neobanks, in relationship to what I referred to earlier as its path to profitability? I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward. When you get to profitability, you create your own capital versus having to, you know, kind of leverage capital from outside to create the, the path. And, and so how close you are will be important. Um, your 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 plans for liquidity um, is is the other part of it. We talk a lot about at least inside Grasshopper. We're a we're kind of a deposit focused organization, and that's our number one objective is to generate operating accounts inside this business and innovation economy. And with that comes um, a certain level of liquidity, which gives you some safety. But but if that's another part of it, especially if you're a banking organization or a neo bank, liquidity is important for you. And then. Again, access to capital. Where is that going to play out? Will you have more access to capital? Um, surely the the other advantage of a neobank and a startup is your infrastructure should be fairly efficient, um, allowing you to survive longer during a revenue shortage. So if you've built that and if you have some flexibility to that, you know that's going to be a key component as well. I'd like to follow up on the liquidity piece a little bit, because I think this is something that is frequently overlooked, but obviously we've seen some really big players get into trouble when it comes to liquidity shortages. How do you look at that challenge and say, you know, what's what's your strategy for tackling that and making sure that you're kind of able to to keep those deposits coming in and they're able to stay liquid? Well, you know, it's it, it's a core non-negotiable inside grasshoppers. We are we are predominantly deposit generators first. Our technology of building a direct-to-business platform that allows small businesses to open those accounts in that seven or eight-minute time frame. We have a banking as a service business, which is predominantly focused on helping the fintech industry with um, their deposits and, and how we can we we gain a significant amount of liquidity from that. We have a wonderful venture banking team that also is is keenly focused on deposit gathering so it's a part of the culture that that we see deposits we we kind of lead with deposits as an organization yeah and we were talking a little bit before we pushed record about kind of the importance of looking at it but but i think in many cases there are companies who maybe get sort of the wrong sort of reinforcement as they're initially bringing their ideas to market where maybe they will get some you know positive feedback from the industry when it comes to um, you know, overall revenue, um, maybe less of an emphasis is placed on kind of profitability. And then all of a sudden you come up against this wall where it kind of overnight uh, a switch flips and you're sort of expected to be profitable when up until that point, you've been getting kind of patted on the head for uh, something that's other than that. How, how do you see that dynamic? Because I think this is one where a lot of companies across the fintech spectrum struggle, whether it's even you know mid-stage startups, companies who've got a Series B, Series C, even under their belts, all of a sudden come up against this wall. What's, what's your advice to those companies for how they can uh, deal with that? Or maybe even starting further back, how can a company that's earlier than that stage, make sure they don't fall into that potential pitfall further down the road. 
Yeah. So, you know, listen, you're getting one person's opinion here, right? And I, I got, I'm, I'm not on video, but I got enough gray hair to share with a lot of people. But, you know, my view would be on this one is you kind of got to try and stay away from the short-term traps of what's good today, but you know, won't be good over the long term. So, so we all know revenue growth and client acquisition growth is a precursor to revenue um, and can be a precursor to revenue. But just like anything else, overdoing it and bringing on clients for the sake of bringing on clients that aren't profitable, who can't be profitable for the sake of that next round, that's a that's a bad path to go down. And, and, and I think during any kind of heyday of growth, those, those type of things you'll look back on, you can look back on 08, you can look back on 2004, you can look back on the 98 uh, real estate crisis or whatever we went through. But, but all of it was built by some exuberance over some kind of what I would call um, revenue versus profitability targets and growth um, for the, with, without profitability that, that led to some company's demise. And, and I think you've got to try and be disciplined and try and avoid that and be realistic about long-term sustainable profitability um, and, and stay focused on how to get there. And, and, and I think there's a whole bunch of great companies out there that can do it. Uh, there probably are some companies that are further away that are going to have some problems and, and we'll have some of this fallout that we talked about. Absolutely. And I think if you look at, you know, during kind of the, the boom times, it's easy to get really hyped up about certain technologies and thinking you know, they're just growing, growing, growing. It looks really good, really good. And all of a sudden you end up coming up against a little bit of a, a hurdle or a roadblock somewhere and, and things can change really quickly. And that's sort of what we're seeing right now where we are seeing kind of a reduction in VC investment in the space. We're seeing companies um, sort of being forced to pivot towards profitability, maybe before they were expecting to. And, and that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. And I think, you know, to your point, starting with the right habits early on is vital. Making sure that you have the the kind of long-term in mind is, is absolutely crucial. So, you know, with that, uh, I'd like to go to our last question here, which is just how do you see you know, this space evolving over the next five or 10 years? You know, we've seen a lot of new banks coming into the market. Um, we've seen some banks who look like they're really positioned to do well. We see some banks who maybe you know, there are more question marks around. What do you see when it comes to kind of neobanking and digital banking over the next five or 10 years as being some of the big patterns that we should, what we should look out for? Yeah, now five or 10 years, that's... And the way this industry has been changing is, is a long time, right? I like to think about, I mean, I like to say, like, if I can't get a project done in six months, I'm not doing it. But so because things change so rapidly. But, but, but I do think it, 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 is the, it, it is the kind of evolution that takes place when we go through an economic event. And, and it's, it's not that different for other companies, but for startups in particular, whether they be fintechs, banks, or neobanks. Is, is where are you in relationship to the cycle as it relates to the path to profitability? And I think there's going to be some, number one, there's going to be some consolidation. You surely are going to see fintechs and banks consolidate more than we have before. You're going to see fintechs and fintechs consolidate. You're going to see banks and banks consolidate. It's what happens during this part of the cycle. Um, you're going to see some clear winners who have kind of been uh, either ahead of the game or being thoughtful on profitability, and who will um, be winners as they we, you know, as they come through. Some, some sometimes they will be buyers, right, of, of technology that will allow them to kind of skyrocket a little bit faster. And then we're you know we're going to see some fallout, which 
which isn't bad. And it's not, I, I don't see fallout as negative. I see fallout as just a natural occurrence during a, an economic cycle like this. And, and those of us who operate in this area of fintech and entrepreneurial know that it's not the end of the world. I mean, I know there's money that can be lost and that's difficult to check, you know, and, and, and challenging, but, but entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs and fail fast and fix it as we, you know, we like to say. Yeah. Yeah. I think that fail fast and fix it is a really crucial piece because there are going to be times where there are necessary contractions. I think they're not necessarily fun, but they're good for the industry overall. We need to have these kinds of moments to sort of force us to focus on what's really important, the long-term health of, of our companies. And so, you know, I look at where we are right now and it does seem like there may be some painful days coming for certain people, but at the end of the day, you know, I think the the consumer experience and and the way that they get the financial services they need is just going to keep getting better and better as a result of the work that's going on right now. And so, um, you know, it's it's a really interesting piece to to keep an eye on. We'll we'll see what happens. Obviously, you know, a lot can happen in five years. A lot can happen in five months. So it'll be interesting to watch what shakes out over the early part of of this decade. But um, I, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much, Michael, for sharing your thoughts. Same here, Greg. Much appreciated. The Finnovate podcast is produced by Informa Connect in association with Provoke.fm Media. Check out Finnovate.com for information on Finnovate's upcoming shows and to learn how you can get involved. The discount code Finnovate Podcast will save you 20% on tickets to all of our events. And you can email us at info at for information on sponsoring, speaking, or demoing. Thanks for listening.